When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. A large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him, him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Triage. It's a French word. It means literally in French, the sifting or the sorting. Many of us saw this word put into action every week with the old television series, MASH. Every time Radar O'Reilly would say, Incoming! All the surgeons, all the nurses would rush out to meet the helicopter or the latest ambulance. And Hawkeye Pierce and Honeycutt and the others would say, too near death, not sick, hurt enough, push to one side, prep for surgery immediately. Sifting, sorting, those who can be helped, those who may not be helped. Jesus was confronted with such decision, according to Mark, a 12-year-old girl whose father has told Jesus she's dying. This little girl is somebody in the community. Her father is named Jairus, leader of the synagogue. So her father is somebody, making her somebody. My dear child, the father describes her. She's 12, near death. The other, a woman, a woman never named, middle age, maybe past, who has an illness. She's been sick a long time. No indication she's near death. 
And yet Jesus stops in the street. The father must have been frantic. Come on, come on. He stops and seeks out this woman. What is Mark trying to tell us? I've underlined four things here. First thing, we never know this woman's name. We're told that she's been ill, seriously ill, for 12 years. She's gone to various physicians. She's spent all of her money, and she's no better. She's worse. But she had heard about Jesus, Mark says. She had heard about Jesus, and that made all the difference. She pushed from behind him just close enough to reach out and touch the back of his robe. If I can just touch it, she thought, maybe, maybe it'll be enough. Dr. Jennifer Lord teaches preaching at the Presbyterian Seminary in Austin, Texas. In her commentary on Luke's Gospel, she talks about that time when the lawyer, that means one who had studied carefully the Torah, approached Jesus and asked, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's the Torah? What's your understanding of it? He gives a good answer, the same that Jesus had given when he was asked on another occasion, what is the greatest commandment? From Deuteronomy, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. You must have no other God but him. You must love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second, sort of like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man says, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus told him a story about a man who went down that rugged 17-mile road from Jerusalem to Jericho, where thieves jumped out from behind the rocks, beat him near death, took everything he had, and left him to die. Priest came by, passed by on the other side. A Levite came by, passed on the other side. A Samaritan came by. A mixed blood. A mixed blood. The mixed blood of the ten northern tribes of Israel and the Assyrians, who had conquered them 800 years before, who had so raped, plundered, and intermarried the women of those ten northern tribes that they had ceased to exist as a separate people. Jesus asked... After telling the man, this Samaritan stopped, bound up the wounds, put the man on his beast, took him on down to Jericho, put him in a bed, in an inn, paid, and said, if any more money is required, I'll pay more when I come back through. Now, which one was neighbor? Can't bring himself to say, Samaritan. So he says, the one who did mercy. The one who did mercy. And Jesus said, that'll work. Go and do the same. Do mercy. Mercy is an attribute of God. Alios in Greek, alios. It doesn't just mean pardoning somebody. It means being generous, benefiting somebody. In liturgical churches like ours, there are services, particularly smaller groups, where we ask people to offer up a prayer they may ask for, for someone for whom they are praying, and the congregation responds, Lord, have mercy. Another prayer is made, Lord, have mercy. In Greek Orthodoxy, you see this a lot. In fact, Dr. Jennifer Lord said she called the Greek Orthodox priest she knows there in Austin, Texas, and asked, which prayer of yours, which part of your liturgy has more of those, Lord, have mercy, than any other? And he told her which one it was. She looked it up, and there are 636 prayers. 
for the world, for their nation, for their city, for their tribe, for their church, for all the sick, for those who've died. 636 times the congregation was to respond, Lord, have mercy. This woman had heard about Jesus, and she dared push through the crowd just to touch the back of his robe as he hurried away to the house of Jairus. Number two, Mark says, at once, immediately, she perceived that she had been healed. At once, immediately, Jesus perceived that power had gone out from him. Now, Luke uses the word power a lot. Mark, not so many times. In fact, this is the first time in Mark's Gospel we've had this word dunamis, from which we get words like dynamite and dynamic and dynamo. In the verb form, it means to be able. And we'll sing next month, Are ye able, says the Master, to be crucified with me? In the noun form, it means power. He perceived that that which made him able had gone out from him, and he stopped and asked who had touched him. But the good had been done. I'm amazed sometimes at articles I see in the Wall Street Journal. If you think this is only a financial newspaper, you're wrong. There was an article just recently written by a fellow named John Shields, and the key word that he kept using was the word redemption. Not about stocks and bonds. No, he was talking about sports magazines. He said, isn't it amazing how Sports Illustrated and others misuse the word redemption? He said just recently he was reading an article about how the Los Angeles Lakers achieved redemption by beating the Celtics who beat them two years before. And last year he said, the same writer had said, Kobe Bryant got redemption by winning the national championship without Shaquille O'Neal. And then he said, if you want to know an athlete who really knew what the word meant, you should read about the life of Manute Bull. He died ten days ago. He was only 47. You remember him? He played for Washington in the NBA. He was seven feet seven inches tall. He was not terribly athletic, had never played basketball till coming to America. He was born in the Sudan, but he came under the influence as a little boy of the Roman Catholic missionaries. He was taught about Christianity. It would forever change his life. He just kept growing and growing, and when he was seven feet seven inches tall, somebody heard about him and drafted him into the NBA. He was the only player in its history who had more blocked shots than he did points scored. He made a million and a quarter dollars a year at his height, the best of his career. He was ill because his body was trying to move blood seven feet seven inches. He was genetically not as strong as he might have been, yet he kept going back to Sudan, back to Sudan, and finally he contracted a, a disease, a rash all over his body, ended up dying at 47. One newspaper said he was a great humanitarian. What they should have said was he was a great Christian. Manute Bowl said in an interview not long before his death, 
I must go back again and again to Sudan because it was there that I heard about one God who so loved the world that he gave his only son Jesus but whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life I accepted his love he led me to America where I met with far greater success than I had ever dreamed in my life and I saw God keep motioning me come back come back to Sudan and John Shields wrote Manute Bowl died without any money but he didn't spend his stuffing cocaine up his nose he didn't spend his on all those women who hang around locker room doors he spent all of his building medical clinics in the Sudan in a moment in a second immediately she perceived power the power had come to her from God's own son number three this story begins with Jairus saying my dear daughter and then the emphasis shifts to the woman the woman the woman in the street but when she dares come forward look what Jesus says to her my daughter did you notice that my daughter this morning we baptized four and I prayed that the three girls one boy would hear God saying I know you Sierra I know you Alexandra I know you Elena I know you Victor I know you Sydney I know you Avery you're my son you're my daughter faith faith has made you whole trust me trust me the other day I was reading a review about a musical that's being staged out in Oregon this summer in their big Shakespearean festival but this is not one of Shakespeare's plays this musical was first staged in the United States in 1963 but it came from a French stage play of the 1930s <clears throat> in that play a man who worked in a perfume salon in a department store in Paris was getting along now farther than he wanted to without ever having met the right person the right person and around the corner there was a young woman who was hoping for the right person and back in the 1930s each joined what was called a lonely hearts club and they were given an address and they started writing to each other eventually after they had come to have great affection for each other through the mail they met each other things didn't go well at first all right it was made into a movie and then it was made into a musical in the United States called she loves me you know like picking petals off a daisy she loves me she loves me not she loves me she loves me not she loves me she loves me not 
And then it was made into a second movie, and then it was made into a third called You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. This time with internet, of course, with computers that they meet each other through the internet, through computers. But as this reviewer was telling about the play out in Oregon, she said, but I like the way the director cast this musical. Because when you see the movie of You've Got Mail, is there really any doubt that Tom Hanks is going to come to love Meg Ryan? Is there really any doubt that Meg Ryan's going to fall for Tom Hanks when she gets a good look at him? And this woman has cast the two lead characters as he, shorter than he'd like to be, balding, she, personality, but shy and not drop-dead beautiful. And so he sings, she loves me, she loves me not, she loves me, she loves me not. And she sings, will he like me? Will the shy and quiet girl he's going to see be the girl he's imagined me to be? This woman did not know what Jesus would do when she came forward. What if he were to say to her, You know this flow of blood you have has made you ritually unclean. Now you've touched me and made me ritually unclean. He could have. But he didn't. I do love you. My daughter. My daughter. Your faith has made you well. God's gift has been extended. You have received it. Number four. Suddenly people were standing here in the crowd, shouting out to Jairus, Forget it. Your daughter's dead. Leave the rabbi alone. Jesus overhears them, and he says to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Believe. Don't be afraid. Believe. Jairus has just seen this woman healed. Now he's been told his daughter is dead. If God's present in Jesus, if he's truly present in Jesus, enough that he can heal somebody sick 12 years, maybe he can raise somebody from the dead. Maybe he can. Remember I told you that in John's Gospel, it's about people who are in the light, people who are still in the dark. Will you move from the darkness into the light? In Luke's Gospel, it's those who are inside and those who are outside. Did you hear that when I read it a few minutes ago? Those who mocked him, who laughed scornfully at him, he put outside. That's what Mark said. He put them outside. He took Peter, James, and John, mother and father of the child, and went into the room, took this 12-year-old by the hand, and said, Talitha kum, Aramaic, his native tongue, little girl, be raised up. That's what it literally says. It's the same word that's often translated resurrection. Be raised up. Come back to life. Come back to life. Three weeks ago, I was at the Renaissance Hotel. I was supposed to say an invocation uh, at a noon banquet for the Alzheimer's Association for Oklahoma, Arkansas. Two of our own, Bob and Bill Thomas, were being honored for their many contributions to the Alzheimer's Association. And I had been asked through them if I would say the prayer. 
Um, I said, of course, I would be glad to do that. The speaker was Kate Mulgrew. I didn't know that name. I'm sorry, I did not know that name. But as she was introduced, ah, this was the woman who played the lead in Ryan's Hope. Hmm. I didn't know about that either. But then Star Trek Voyager, she was Captain Janeway in 172 episodes. Kate Mulgrew, what was she doing in Tulsa? Her mother died of Alzheimer's. And so Kate has now helped raise more than $2 million herself for the Alzheimer's Association, and they wanted her to come and tell her story, and that's what she was doing. Quickly, she said that she grew up in an Irish Roman Catholic family in Dubuque, Iowa. She was one of eight kids. She wanted to be an actress. She went to New York, took lessons, worked as a waitress, finally got one little role, then a little bigger, then a little bigger, then a little bigger, and finally the great success with Star Trek Voyager. And then, a few years ago, a call that her mother had Alzheimer's. And she said all eight of us came home to figure out what we could do. We knew we'd need help. We interviewed for a helper and finally decided on a Hispanic American woman named Lucy, her Americanized name, Lucy. And we explained to Lucy that one book calls this the 10-year goodbye. It could be that long. Lucy, we need somebody who will help us with our mother as long as it takes. She said she wanted the job. And Kate says, for the next nine years, Lucy was wonderful. And then their mom died. She said, one of my brother has been a woodworker. He does beautiful things. He had asked all of us, could he make the casket for our mother? We agreed, sure, that he could do that. He did that. And we all decided as a big Roman Catholic family to bring mother to the house to lie and wait until the service. It was a long day, lots of people coming through. And when everybody had gone home, she said, I was washing up dishes in my mother's kitchen. And just as I was drying my hands, I saw Lucy come into the room where mother's casket was. She didn't see me. She was all alone. She knelt in the floor, took out her rosary, and fingered the beads through her hand. And then she stood up and walked over to the casket, took her rosary, and touched the crucifix to the forehead of my mother. And then she said, Buenas noches. Good night. And then she said, Vaya con Dios. Go with God. And she turned and left the room. Amen.